right, day 117. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so I have a question before you before we jump in. All right, so what happens when what we know contradicts what we experience? What happens when what we believe in how the world behaves seems to be out of sync? This is where we find ourselves in the book of Job, right? We're in Job chapter 21, and this is essentially what Job is replying to Zophar. So Zophar, remember last time Zophar comes through and he's preaching to the choir. He's saying all this stuff about how the wicked um, is going to get this type of fate, right? Like the wicked is going to have a terrible end. And so Job pushes back, right? Job pushes back when everything Zophar was saying about the wicked not prospering and their deeds boomeranging back on them, right? He's like, fam. Job is like, fam. That isn't what I see when I look out into the world. So if you look at chapter 21, starting verse 7, he says, yo, why do the wicked continue to live? Growing old and becoming powerful. Verse 8, their children are established while they are still alive and their descendants before their eyes. So kids, kids, they get to see their kids, kids. They don't just get to see their kids. They get to see their kids, kids. Verse 9, their homes are secure and free of fear. No rod from God strikes them. Their bulls breed without fail. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. In other words, Job is like the wicked still, talking to Zophar, the wicked still have their kids. Mine have had funerals that are long gone. He talks about their homes being secure. And if we remember from chapter one, his home had collapsed and caved in on his children. And then he's like, yo, they have cattle and wealth and means and money. And Job went from having all of this to nothing. And so Job is like, brother, the things you are telling me, I know. However, in light of that, I do know that. But also what I'm experiencing is not lining up. And that's not even the worst part. You go to chapter 13, I mean, uh, verse 13, he's like, yo, they spend their days in prosperity and go down to shoal in peace. He's talking about the wicked still. He says, yo, yet they say to God, leave us alone. What? We don't want to know your ways. Verse 15, who is the almighty that we should serve him? And what will we gain by pleading with him? This is him quoting the wicked. But he says, yo, but their prosperity is not of their own doing. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Job is keeping it a buck. He's keeping it real. In other words, what Job is saying is not just that these wicked people are prospering, right? He's saying that these aren't just well-meaning people who aren't believers. These are God haters, right? These are people that are hostile to the almighty. These are people who could care less about the one true God of the universe. These are people who deny any validity to our faith. Job is like, how do you answer that? Make sense of that. And so Job comes through and he's like, yo, 
He's giving example after example after example of how the wicked, the people who den- who curse God to his face. How are they coming out of this life unscathed? Right? Job's observations on life here, you know, pointed to facts that could not be accounted for, apparently, in the worldview expressed by his friends. And as Job saw it, a person's goodness or wickedness had nothing to do with life's fortunes, right? Um, and it's crazy, man. Like, it's so many, that's just deep and profound because I think, you know, you think about even the Bible, right? Like, Pharaoh was king of the largest empire in the world at the time, right? You have King Nebuchadnezzar, who who, who was king of, um, you know, Babylon in the largest empire in the world at the time. It's like all these kings and people who are prospering and people who literally did curse God, right? Like Pharaoh's like, who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? Like when Moses came, he's like, who's Yahweh? I don't, I don't care about Yahweh. You know, and we see that now. People who may have fame, who may have limelight, who may have wealth, who may have prosperity, who may have things seem like they're going, and they hate God and they they curse the Lord. And and for us, that is a mystery. And and, and the text What's, what's good here is like, man, the text doesn't even, it doesn't tell us why, right? Like it, it doesn't. But one thing it does do, it does provide a soft and maybe unintentional, right, critique against the prosperity gospel, right? right? Which is this false belief that, yo, if you serve God, he will bless you materially. That can't be true because we see that if we want to yeah, judge blessing by, you know, the worldly standards, like people who, who hate God are blessed materially right they prosper in life as well so that that prosperity gospel can't be true right like that's just a yeah 21st century application um and people yeah would make the impetus to serve god material blessing we know that can't be true however it is at the same time still a mystery to us why the wicked prosper now and we do know, yeah, we do know at the end of the story and that everybody at the end of the day, one day for sure, at the end of time, will get what they deserve. Absolutely. Now, we go to Job 22, though. Um, you know, the Bible will mark this off as the third and final round of speeches in this section. So we have Job, yeah, before this, talking about, yo, man, my experience contradicts with everything you're saying right now. But now we're back at the top with my man Eliphaz. And Eliphaz, again, like everybody else, ain't saying nothing new, right? Bro, you still you chatting to. He's not saying anything new for real, for real. My man is still on the same wave, except he goes a little bit further. So he goes from generally indicting Job earlier in his other speeches um, to specifically <laughs> indicting Job of sin once again. So in 22.6, he'll say, yo, for you took collateral from your brothers without cause, stripping of Stripping off their clothes and leaving them naked. You know, you gave no water to the thirsty and withheld food from the famished while the land belonged to a powerful man and an influential man lived on it. You start, you sent windows, uh, widows, I'm sorry, away empty handed and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. So we have Eliphaz here, like the rest of his friends. Once again, he can't seem to wrap his head around this idea that Job's circumstances don't reveal evil in his life, and he feels the need to assert specific ways Job has probably sinned. All unsubstantiated claims that just flat out aren't true. So aside from Job being misunderstood, he is also falsely accused, 
right? And so here at the very end of this chapter, he's going to encourage Job, bro, repent, right? Repent and you will be restored. The crazy thing is Job, once again, Job was not the one who needed to hear this, right? And so in other words, it's sometimes, man, again, I, I want us to see and apply the text on both sides for us being in Job's place, for us being in the friend's place. And at some point we have to ask ourselves when walking with people in suffering, is good medicine, good medicine if it's given to the wrong patient, right? And such is the case here. He's giving good things, good truths, but to the wrong person. So is it really good, right? And so chapter 23 comes and Job, my man, Job answering, or at least he's, yeah, speaking again, right? So here, if we look carefully at chapter 23, unlike some of the other chapters, Job in large part ignores most of what was previously said. And my bro, my boy is tired. I can, like, you can, yeah, it seems as if, I don't know for sure, but he seems that he's just tired, man. Like he's tired of, you know, the way his friends are just going back and forth with him. Um, and, you know, it's crazy uh, because the Bible is just so real, man. That's why in verse three, he's like, yo, man, he's not, you know, yeah, responding to Eliphaz so much as he's longing for God. So in verse three, he'll come and say, man, if only I knew how to find him, right? So that I could go to his throne. And he'll follow that up with, if I go east, he's not there. And if I go west, I cannot perceive him. When he is at work to the north, I cannot see him. When he turns south, I cannot find him. One of the things that the Bible teaches over and over is that God is omnipresent, meaning he is all places at all times, every, uh, you know, in every single moment. Um, but, you know, there's no place he's not in the universe, but even though he is everywhere, suffering can make him feel as if, you know, make it feel as if he is nowhere, right? So in Job 24, he's going to continue and he's going to talk about what he sees once again. And he'll say, man, like, you know, he'll talk about the, you know, the fatherless, the poor and the widow. And man, one of the things we see about suffering and affliction, you know, it makes the goodness of God seem cloudy and the wickedness of the wicked seem ultra clear, right? So notice how in chapter 24, Job clearly identifies ways in which he can see these injustices in the world, right? The exploitation and oppression that takes place. Verse three, he'll say, yo, they drive away, talking about the wicked, they drive away the donkeys owned by the fatherless and take the widow's ox as collaterals, talking about the widows. Verse four, he'll say, they'll push, they push the needy off the road, the poor of the land are forced into hiding. Talking about the poor. Then he says, verse nine, the fatherless infant is snatched from the breast. The nursing child of the poor is seized as collateral. And so Job gives us the insight that sometimes our own suffering can make us more sensitive to the suffering going on around us, right? And so Job here is lamenting, right? He's lamenting not just his own problems, but the problems and evils he sees, uh, you know, in the world. And it's shocking, man, that in spite of, you know, what he is going through, he, you know, seems to say that there's a ton of issues in the world that God seems, you know, to not care about, right? That God seems to 
um, you know, not display his justice or if he is going to display it, it's too far delayed, right? And so, yo, Job is sending this YWA text, right? <laughs> to God, where you at, right? God, where are you? I can't, I can't see you. I don't feel you. I'm not experiencing your presence. I don't know where you are. And what I love about this chapter is that Job does understand that these are problems and we should as well. However, we can't, once again, be pushed to despair. And you know why? Because as Christians, we believe in this thing called the gospel. And in the gospel, God dealt with the ultimate problem in the universe on a macro level, and that is sin. And it happened in the greatest injustice of all time where the sinless, perfect, righteous, and glorious, majestic, eternal Son of God comes to earth in a man named Jesus, and Jesus comes and dies on the cross taking the wrath of God. And God was just because he punished sin there. However, God was also merciful because we didn't experience it, right? And so, you know, Christ taking on the sin of humanity and he promises to come and make all things right again in the end, right? God, Jesus, is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he is not with us only when we feel like he's with us. But the funny thing is, though, when we look around the world, we can often be pushed in the same direction Job is, right? Because, in other words, observation doesn't tell us this. Merely looking at the world won't help us. We must remember who God is, what he's done, and what he said, right? Like, that's why we do this podcast, so we can remember what God's word says. That's where our trust and our faith lies, not and what we see, because sometimes what we see makes it seem as if God is not there, even though he is. Let's pray. Father, we pray that um, today as we go about the world, even if the world seems to be in disarray, even if our own world seems to be in disarray, may we remember that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, and you promise to make everything wrong in this world right one day. Give us the faith to believe it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.